What happens when you combine friendship with your craft or your business? Hi, I'm Nancy Hand. Research shows us that having a friend at work makes employees about 13% more productive, not to mention less likely to take sick days and more likely to receive accolades and promotions. But how does that translate into things like mentorship? Welcome to Friends on Hand, the podcast where we explore the fine art of friendship. Again, I'm Nancy Hand, social confidence coach. I help shy achievers create meaningful networks. And today we are talking to one of my favorite, favorite network members, Micah Martello. He is the executive chef and owner at Fet O Fet in the famed Fallburg Brewing slash Dixie Brewery in New Orleans. He has been a chef all of his life and does a, a, a whole lot of other cool things too, but he certainly knows a thing or two about mentoring and about being mentored. And I can't believe I'm having you come on for a second time, but it just shows how freaking cool you are. And (laughs) welcome back, Micah. (laughs) Thank you very much. Happy to happy to help, happy to participate, and happy to talk about this subject because it's one that's near and dear to my heart. Yeah, I thought so. When uh, mentoring has come up a lot this year, especially with so many people jumping into their own new businesses for the first time, I have to say, um, this unprecedented year has led to more more people jumping out and into their passions than I have ever seen before. And it's fantastic. And um, there's there's often more to it than they know. And having someone at their side, a mentor, someone who's walked the path before, even if they're only a few you know years ahead of them, it is is powerful. And I know that you have had some a really great experiences around this. So Let's just dig right in. And uh, I know I've covered so many questions in the earlier podcast. Let's talk mentorship. Sounds good. So I remember you, I don't even remember like the day you got into to chefing, but I know, I remember the first job and there are two things I want to talk to you about. I'm so going to railroad you on this. One is lonely at the top because I know you've been an executive chef for a long time. We'll get to this later, I think. But I want to know about how mentorship helps helps with that, because you can't be friends with the people working for you in that way sometimes. That's um, really difficult. Um, my start, uh, if, you know, I mean, I had a couple of cook's jobs here and there, but the job that really uh, set me on the path towards becoming uh, a chef was a job that another friend actually helped me get. So uh, a guy, you know, Chef Robert Sims, uh, helped me get a, an apprentice uh, prep cook's job at the Lafayette Hilton and Towers. I didn't know that. Yes. <laughs> wow. Go Rob. <laughs> so, uh, yes, Rob Rob helped me get that job. Um, I... Uh, went there and I, Rob was really just kind of an acquaintance at the time. I didn't really know him. Like I know mm-hmm. him now, you know, 30 something years later, we're still buds, you know, but, uh, so I determined that I needed to work in this hotel to really take my culinary career up a notch and get on the path to learning. Uh, I stopped by and talked to the executive chef, uh, uh, a guy I really respect and have a lot of admiration for who really taught me a tremendous amount guy named Troy Meacham. He was the executive chef at the Lafayette Hilton Towers at the time. And I went and proceeded to aggravate him into giving me a job. 
So the first time I went and, and said, hey, chef, I want to talk to you about a job, totally dismissed me. Uh, who's this little punk coming in here wanting to work in my glorious professional kitchen? You know, so I just started showing up all the time and just hanging out and talking to the employees. And he would see me walk by and he would roll his eyes and he would go, what is this kid doing here again? I'd be like, hey, chef, you got anything open yet? So after about two weeks of that nonsense, uh, I guess I caught him at, a, at the, the right moment. He was really aggravated about something. He comes around the corner. He sees me. And you can see the look on his face like, oh, my God, this kid again. Wish he would go away. And uh, I said, any jobs open yet, chef? I'll do whatever. You know, anything to get my foot in the door. You need a dishwasher, whatever. He goes, you want to work? Show up tomorrow morning, 4 a.m. Be ready for brunch. So, yes, sir. I was <laughs> To me, that was a job offer, right? So, yeah. uh, I, you know, I guess he forgot about it. I showed up and the, the, the breakfast cook that was there, uh, you know, helped me out. And uh, he said, oh, new guy. Okay, whatever. He doesn't know any better, you know. So he puts me to work doing all of his dirty work. Uh, by the time that the chef arrived, I was out on the omelet station flipping omelets for the guests. <laughs> I had no idea. I do not know this story. I'm so glad we're talking. Wow. So he comes up. He, <laughs> he walks into the restaurant. The kid that aggravated the heck out of him uh, into, into getting this job. He sees me out there interacting with guests in a chef outfit. I'm flipping omelets. And it's like all the color went from his face. (laughs) What have I done? Well, um, you know, as much as he didn't want to like me, he took a liking to me. And, uh, you know, I I got promoted. I moved up to the ranks. I got uh, banquet chef. You know, they promoted me to line cook, then banquet chef, then... uh, you know, eventually, uh, Rob took over his job when he left and then I took over as the sous chef. So, uh, I was there for about two and a half years, I think. And, uh, I'm still friends with the guy to this day. He taught me a tremendous amount about being a chef and, uh, I'm very grateful for that. You know, so the culinary profession is one of the last few careers that you can truly do an old style apprenticeship and, and learn. So not many more of those left anymore, but yeah. uh, So friendship and mentorship go hand in hand. And, you know, he had to uh, scold me a few times when I did things wrong. So it is difficult Mm -hmm. friends with that person that you're mentoring. Uh, So it's kind of a fine line that you have to walk, especially now that I've been on both sides of it. Uh, Yeah. Two things just jumped out, and I just want to want to shine a light on one thing for our listeners, and that is that you and Rob weren't super close friends, and and it is it has been shown that weak ties, which are the people who are a little bit further out in the rings of your social networks, are where your jobs come from. That's where your clients come from. That's where True. the opportunities, and so I think that's worth mentioning, and also. I'm just, I'm thrilled. I'm so glad to hear this story. (laughs) How did I not know this? You were a pest. (laughs) But that also, that also is just that tenacity that you were on the right track. You knew, you know? 
Yeah, I had a feeling. Um, I mean, but I'd seen so many like big people come out of that kitchen, you know, and go on to to be successful in other restaurants around town at the time. And, uh, you know, it was really one of the few ACF certified kitchens to work in. So I thought, you know, like, hey, if this is the career path that I want to go down, I need this on the job training. And I need yeah. it here. And I knew eventually I would wear him down. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So from there, you went to, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to see if I can remember the trail to Duke Cicero. Uh, no, I got my first executive chef position in New Orleans at Tavern on the Park. That's right. And I was the youngest executive chef in New Orleans. I, I was 22 years old. And uh, then from there, uh, that was a good opportunity for me. But uh, the owners of the restaurant at the time were really just looking for somebody that, that was young and inexperienced, that they wouldn't have to pay a lot. So mm-hmm. it was a trade-off. Uh, they weren't the best people to work for. So I took a step back and uh, got a sous chef position under Chef Duke LeCicero. I was mm-hmm. only there for about eight or nine months and uh, before I quit and went to work for Duke, who's also, to this day, another dear friend who I admire greatly. And, and the guy, you know, he was very different than my first mentor. He, uh, you know, where Troy Meacham was a by the books, you know, follow the rules to the letter kind of guy. And he had to be because he was running a huge organization. Duke was a small business owner in his own private restaurant, uh, playing fast and loose with the rules, not health rules, but, you know, uh, being able to. I learned to be nimble. I learned to, to improvise. I learned to, to do things on the fly and, and get the job done with him. And uh, plus his creativity in the kitchen, his, his, his uh, plate presentation skills, the way he, he thinks about marrying flavors and stuff like that. He was really instrumental in, in, in shaping how, you know, my style of cuisine. So, ah. Yeah. Well, that actually, that sounds almost like the perfect education because you have almost like a formal education followed by, okay, let's set some of this aside and I'm going to show you how to wing it and be intuitive with your, with your cooking. And I think that's glorious. Yeah. I love, I love that I get the benefit of you mentoring me. Ha! <laughs> how cool is that? <laughs> I know how to pick them y'all. So after that, uh, I worked for Duke for, I guess, a couple years. And then I got promoted with that organization, his business partner that was partner in in his restaurant. Uh, I had a hotel. I got promoted to the Avenue Plaza Hotel and was executive chef again. And I worked for you. What's that? I worked for you. Did you work for me at the Avenue Plaza? Oh, no, not the Avenue Plaza. That was a Charlie G's. Charlie G's. Yes, a Charlie G's. So, yeah, <laughs> at the Avenue Plaza for a while. Uh, I, I I moved to Charlie G's after that. Okay. And, again, uh, you know, it was a great job opportunity for me at the Avenue Plaza. Uh, I learned a lot. I, I got promoted to food and beverage director while I was there. Uh, but, they, you know, there were some issues with the hotel where part of it was 
becoming a timeshare type thing. And it really, they wanted to take everything in a very different direction that I was really wanted to go with it. And, uh, I had always wanted to work at Charlie G's. Even when I was in Lafayette, they had a, the original Charlie G's was in Lafayette, fantastic restaurant. So, um, I took another step back, uh, to executive sous chef again to go work at Charlie G's under chef Phil Shirley, who was another fantastic guy. I remember him. (laughs) Phil had organizational strengths that I learned from. He, he, his strengths were planning, organization, inventory, uh, scheduling, you know, learning about labor costs, those types of things. I, I really learned a tremendous amount under him and I worked for him for about a year and a half before he left and I got promoted and took his job. Um, so I'd made executive chef again. And, um, you know, I, th- I felt like I was really young at the time. I didn't feel like it was a step back to, to step back to a sous chef position because I was in my early 20s. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I really, by all rights, I shouldn't have been an executive chef that young anyway. But um, so it was it was great to learn under Phil. And uh, through him, I met several other people uh, that mentored me, uh, Chef Chef Robert Richard, mm-hmm. and uh, and Bob at the time was uh, you know much older than me, and he was working for um, some food brokers as their demo chef, you know, and and, and sales and stuff like that. But this guy has a, a very a very long. I mean, he was hired. In yeah. the 70s by Baron Conrad Hilton himself, uh, you know, to work for Hilton Hotels. So Bob has a tremendous culinary background. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he, he just great guy to learn from. And I never worked for Bob, but we became friends and still friends to this day. But all these great mentors, one of the, the one of the most things in common that I learned from all of them was how to be a good mentor. Yes. And I kind of took that and started training other guys that were passionate about the business. Well, let me ask you this. How do you know, like, because people look for mentors, they don't know how to approach them. And, and it, sometimes it happens organically and beautifully, like it has for you so many times, but, what, how do you go about finding that mentor? How do you recognize people when you see them to say, Oh, this is one I'd like to, I'd like to bring under my wing. How do you know? How do I know? I think it, I think it has to do with people's passion. Like if, if I see an employee that truly cares about what they do, that Mm -hmm. has the best interest of the business at heart, uh, and they make decisions based upon what's good for the business, then that sends a signal to me that says this is somebody who really cares about their job because people who don't take pride in their job don't really care if you make a profit or if the customer's happy or if the food is proper or correct, if the recipe's right, and so on and so forth. Um, and th- those people that have that skill, those are the kind of people that I really – you know, gravitate towards. Mm-hmm. 
But as far as like, how do I pick a mentor? Are you talking about? Well, both directions, but both directions. You have been recognized, I guess, by your mentors. Yeah, I've got a lot of guys. I mean, probably at least fifteen guys that have come out from under working for me to go on and become successful executive chefs. Yeah, I got to ask you this: Are they all guys? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> no, I, uh, there are some women that that definitely um, uh, followed that same suit. You know, I just I think it's some reason uh, a majority of the people working in kitchens were guys at the time. Right. You know, and I don't know why it's not really a, a I mean, I don't see why it should be a male dominated field other than we're dumb enough to take that kind of job. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think it's the dishwashing part. <laughs> so, have you had, and I wrote this down so I, uh, I wouldn't forget to ask, have you had mentorship come to you from surprising places, from someone younger than you or culturally different or um, hmm. a, a quick passing mentorship that wasn't like a long-term thing where you picked up something that was just like gold? Hmm. I don't know. I can't really can't really think of anything off the top of my head that stands out, mm-hmm. but I do say that there were people from all walks of life. Um, I don't know. Most, you know, I was so young in the field that everybody was older than me. Yeah. So I didn't really see the, I think it maybe if I was, starting in uh, down that career path at a, at an older age that probably would have been something because I mentored a lot of guys that were older than me. Ah, see fair. That was kind of where I was going with this, but another, another thing I want to point out or, or just, you know, talk a little bit about is, is you taking that step back and it's, you know, we just came off finishing queen's gambit and I'm watching the <laughs> I know. Fantastic. Watching the chess game and and sometimes you do retreat and it's a better idea than to keep plowing forward. And for you to go up and then back down off the executive chef position twice, Mm -hmm. um, did you always have the long vision in mind? Yes. At the time I did. At the time I did because I knew it would lead to bigger and better things. And uh, it was a very different time in the restaurant world back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, I, I wouldn't say it was, it's, it's a harder nowadays to turn a profit. So it wasn't as uh, stressful, you know, a, a situation uh, because it's restaurants are running on, on much thinner profit margins now than they used to. This cost mm-hmm. of goods has gone up, cost of labor has gone up, rents have gone up, but you know, a chicken dish is still 10 bucks you know, 20 right. years ago versus today. So. Uh-huh. Well, and, and I think, well, when you started out, you were, you were in two of the most culinarily chosen places on the planet, really. Yeah. <laughs> People and go there to eat. They do, you know, and ho- hotels, um, uh, you know, at, you know, hotels have room revenue that can also help cover expenses. So they have these, sure staffs 
um, that they can afford to pay for, uh, you know, in places like Cafe Giovanni where, you know, Duke was, you know, he could charge, you know, a lot more for his food because it was that good. And it was that, you know, that kind of place and Charlie G's, we could get away with it, you know, because we were one of the top restaurants in the city. So uh, you, you have that a little bit of flexibility, which kind of takes some of the pressure off sometimes. Sure. So, so I want to talk a little bit about the lonely at the top thing, because along with a lot of people launching out into entrepreneurship, they're finding it to be lonely, which it is. Yeah. Um, any entre- entrepreneur will tell you it can get very lonely because if you're a solopreneur or a small business owner, you are at the top and it can get lonely. And there's a certain, you can have, have great relationships with your employees and still not be able to have a bond like you would with a mentor or call like a, I don't know, compatriot. I don't know what mm-hmm. word, word, but fellow chefs. So I want to ask a little bit about how you've managed that. It's, um, I love my employees. I, I, I consider them my family. Um, I have some that, you know, they're amazing people. They, they really go above and beyond. Uh, I've got some employees that have been with me for five years and it's tough because you, you want to be friends with them and you think that your friends are always going to do the right thing for you. Sometimes employees are going to be employees. You know, they're going to show up late. They're going to slack off. They're having a bad day. They're going to they're going to make dumb mistakes that they should have not made, which cost you money. Um, so how do you do that? How do you be a boss and be a friend? It's it's a it's a tough thing to, to have to do. Um, I'm going through something right now with somebody who's uh, an employee who was with me for like three years. She was great. We love her to death. She's a good person. Uh, when the pandemic hit, we were shut down the first time. Uh, and then we were able to reopen in May for like three weeks. Uh, I was like, Hey, do you want to come back to work? She says, no, I don't. I'm going to ride out this unemployment thing. And I said, okay, suit yourself, you know, but we got to get things open again. So when you're ready to come back, let me know. Well, you know, we reopened. She didn't, she chose to not come back. Doesn't, not judging. I just, you know, love her like a daughter, but uh, she, uh, you know, now she has found out that some other person was making more money than her and she's all butthurt. She's like, well, I thought you were my friend, my family, this, that, and the other. I'm like, you know, I, how do you, how do you handle that? That is always a, that's always a tough thing. A lot of it's a case by case thing. Some people are really mature. I've been in the situation where I've been an owner and I've been an employee and knowing both sides of the thing, I've, I'm a very good employee because I know what it's like to be an owner. Right. And a lot of people don't understand those types of responsibilities. So they'll, they'll take that friendship and kind of abuse it a little bit and say, yeah, but I thought you were my friend, but you know, I still have a business to run and I still have other employees that I have to, you know, that I'm responsible for their paychecks every two weeks. So it's, it's, it's a fine line. How how do you walk it? How do you balance it? 
you know, I'm still learning that. (laughs) Right. Well, has the mentorship or uh, friendships with fellow chefs been helpful with that? I think so, because we all have the same problems in that area, you know, and you want to build a bond with your employees because turnover is expensive and you want people to enjoy their job because you love what you do and you want them to love it also. I mean, I think that's human nature. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we have these discussions a lot and, you know, not everybody has this, you know, some people will say you can't be friends with your employees at all. You have to be the boss or they will take advantage of you. And I, I don't believe that. I, I, you know, I, I think that you can do both. I think really it's about, it's about explaining, it's about making your employees understand the position that you're in and, and getting them on board with, with the thing and, and, and setting boundaries. I think you have to be upfront and honest and fair about setting those boundaries that, Hey, I'm your friend and I will help you on a personal level but I need this, you know, I need you to do this. I need this task to be complete. And, and it's, it's, it's more than just saying, I need this done. You have to sell the why of why you need it done. Mm-hmm. No, like, listen, you know, your paycheck depends upon every plate going out this way, because if we don't have everything done a certain way, then customers stop spending money. They stop coming back. And then we're all, this whole ship is sunk. So I think it takes a lot of careful explanation and communication and getting people to understand why it's important for them to have the business's best interest at heart. And it goes a long way with me as an employer because I do things for my employees that most employers would never do, you know, when they need help financially, uh, if they need help moving, Oh, you need to borrow a vehicle. You need, you know, I, you know, I gave an employee a bicycle once he was having trouble getting to work. You know, I said, I have an extra bike. Why don't you have it? You know, and you have transportation now. I mean, little things like that, that I consider an investment in people to help them out. And, and, a lot of times it pays huge dividends because people are appreciative of that. And that's why I have a lot of long-term employees now that have been with me for a long time because I care and they know that they know that I care and they know that I've helped them out. But, you know, so it's, uh, I think a lot of it's just about communication and, and, and selling why we do things the way that we do and why it's important. Right. And certainly the mentorship you've received over the years helps you convey that, I know. Absolutely. Yeah. Without the knowledge that I've gotten from these other people, I would never be where I am today. So. I love that. Absolutely. And and that reminds me, it's a good lesson in gratitude to be grateful for people that help you out along the way. Oh, absolutely. And, and I'm, my, my guess is after our conversation, you'll think of more because I'm already thinking of more. Probably. Um, <laughs> and, and, Another podcast. <laughs> well, that, that, but for our listeners, I am a damn fine cook and it is in a large part due to this fellow right here because um, when we moved to Auburn, there was nothing to eat there. 
I was out of New Orleans and into Auburn. There was nowhere to eat. And uh, between you and mom and Paul Nockhan, <laughs> I, I was on the phone all the time. How do I do this? How do I do that? What do I do if I have this? How do I boil shrimp? How do I make a roux? Um, all of that was done over the phone. Right. I learned how to cook over the phone with y'all. Pretty much. And now you're a soup master. (laughs) Oh, you don't even know. I will just, because I, uh, because I planned on talking about some food. We did, um, we did a yellow squash and zucchini soup last night that was out of this world. So simple. It was like just a little bit of broth and some sauteed squash and onions. And um, I pureed it with a little bit of Greek yogurt. It was outstanding. Sounds delicious. And like, it's healthy, isn't it? It would be healthy. That sounds pretty healthy to me. Um, But we did, we've been doing um, broccoli soup, cauliflower soup. I just did the squash soup. Tonight we're doing um, butternut squash soup because we're in a soup and salad groove right now. So dinner is soup and salad. Yummy. Because we're getting ready ready for the big hike. Mm, 50 miles. 50 miles? The plan is 50 miles. Now it's going to be on the podcast. 50 miles is the plan to do that for this coming fall on the Ozark Highlands Trail. That sounds like fun. It does. It's going to be a ball if we can get in shape. That's the plan. How many days are you going to take to do it? Probably a week. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And it, but that's also packing in all our gear. Yeah. So... Well, we will we will see what my knees have to say about that come June, because this is it is it is taking a full blown like workout regimen now. So tell me this: what is your if you could only eat one thing? Fried chicken. Come on, really? Really? <laughs> Micah, what? Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. I'll roll with it. We had we had schnitzel for New Year's. It's our it's our tradition. Yum. It was really good. If I if I was was relegated to solely one food, I probably eat fried chicken, but not just any fried chicken. Like it what? would have to be fried to my specs. Which are? Well, I mean, I, it would not be fried in that that poison that most restaurants use in their fryers, all the, the hydrogenated vegetable oils and rice bran oils and soybean oils with BHA and BHT and, and anti-foaming agents and all that stuff. It would either be (laughs) pure beef tallow, pure lard or peanut oil. I'm going to go with peanut oil. It's gotta be, it's gotta be one of the three. (laughs) Um, three healthiest oils. Avocado oil is acceptable too. Um, okay. Uh, secondly, I would probably fry that chicken in crushed up pork rinds. Oh my God. Which is part <laughs> of the keto thing? It is divine. It is, there's nothing like it. And uh, if the skin have to be bone in, skin on chicken, not eating tenders, although I like that. <laughs> Can we conclude tenders? And I don't know. Okay. Just say. I like a tender. I'm all about a tender. Whole bird. Um, yeah. And then with, of course, my proprietary seasoning blend. So that's. And like, I was going to bring that up. But just for our listeners, um, 
Mr. Martello has come out with a proprietary, uh, his signature flavor. <laughs> I'm going to call it, it's your signature flavor, but it's a really fantastic spice and we're using it as a rub and it is, it is it, delicious and got it, some good cake. It's a good all-purpose seasoning for, for all types of stuff, grilling, barbecues, soups, sauces, whatnot. I have a few other blends that I'm working on, but this is kind of like our all-purpose blend that we've used at the restaurant. I've used really in all my restaurants for years. And um, we just decided to take it to market and see what we can do with it. And it's, we've sold, uh, I sold about a hundred and something jars already. Nice. So, you know, when we were, you know, 14, I never thought that you'd have your signature flavor, but there, right? you, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> And here we are. <laughs> Fried chicken, huh? Makes me okay. feel good. It's comfort food. Yeah, yeah, yep. it is. I mean, I'm thinking what, what my answer would be, but it's been so long since well, I've had a good milk trunk. Like real- you know, foie gras and truffle pate with yeah. caviar, you know. No, chefs. chefs we're, we're exposed to that kind of stuff all the time. Somebody walks through my kitchen with a bologna sandwich. Everybody's like, ooh, you know, like, yeah, it's. You know, oh, that's funny. Yeah. You're exposed to all this nice food and everything. Sometimes the body just wants what it wants. We want, or, or the, really the mind, I guess, you know, cause it's the comfort food. It's about food gives you feelings. I was going to, um, uh, my friend Karen in Ireland, um, she sends us goodies all the time. And I was like, all right, enough of you sending us candy from Ireland. I'm going to get you. And, uh, in conversation, I discovered that she had never had Velveeta, mac and cheese or um, hot sauce or French onion dip, which is stuff we don't even eat. But I was like, uh-uh. when I, when I like looked at the Velveeta and realized it's not refrigerated, I was like, oh, yeah. So I packed up this box of like Velveeta and, and awful mac and cheese. I know. And then I weighed it and then went to go send it. And it was like $200 shipping. I'm like, nope. <laughs> like, I called her. I'm like, sorry, you're going to have to come here to get it. Yeah. I've been to Ireland. The food in Ireland is incredible. And now I have a pound of Velveeta and Will keeps looking at it. I'm like, nope, you're not eating it. <laughs> Come on, have you drink and melt that stuff up. Uh-uh. I may let him have the mac and cheese. <laughs> and I think I think the uh the Lipton onion soup mix is, is light enough to travel. I introduced Sweden to that dip and I'm gonna introduce Ireland to it too. Wow. Wow, you're going to single-handedly destroy the culinary culture of Ireland. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Very surprised at how amazing the food was in Ireland. It's it's their whole their whole to farm to table. I mean, it just works. I've never seen more beautiful, happy cows than I've seen in Ireland. I said Kerry Gold. That's where that comes from. Yeah. It is some fine butter. Yeah, absolutely. The vegans aren't going to be listening to this, by the way. That's what I love about the bread. It's vegan. It's kosher. What do you want? You know? Right. It's got everything. Yeah. Comfort. Well, I think that we have, we have rounded out this conversation. I I love it. And I love that, that you are mentoring other people. Let me ask you this, because this is a, this is a difficult time, especially for aspiring chefs. What would you, what would you float out there to 
younger members of your profession who may be looking at the world right now with their hands up in the air going, what the hell am I going to do? Now is the time to think outside the box. You know, I mean, necessity is the mother of invention and people are still eating. Most of them three meals a day. Uh, They're just getting their meals from different places and you have to be nimble and, and think of different ways to do it because we're, we're really at a critical point in the restaurant industry right now and things are changing and there's some restaurants that are doing well and there's a lot of restaurants that aren't. I mean, the fast food places have enjoyed massive growth. Um, Mm -hmm. The, the, the craft places where the, the small intimate places where you went to get good food served by local people and local products. I mean, those, those, these guys are hurting right now really bad. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's not always easy to, to shift gears and do something else because you've got leases and, and loans and things, money tied up and other things. So it's not always easy to say, Oh, well, let's just do something different, Mm -hmm. you know, because this is uncharted territory for all of us. So, um, the culinary community really needs to stick together and, and, and share resources and, 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 and and figure out a way to make this work or our, our way will go by the wayside. Yeah. So, uh, gosh, that's, I, I, I really wish I had a, a better answer to that question, but it's something that I've been struggling with. I think everybody wants a better answer to that question. Yeah. And it's, it's for us just to watch, watch things opening and closing and closing and wondering if they're going to open again, will they have the giddy up to get back up? Yeah. Um, and, you know, definitely definitely fingers crossed. And I, I will say in Memphis, there is a group and I'll shout out to them called the Memphis sandwich click. And it's really just like 16,000 Memphians going around the city, taking pictures of the sandwiches they eat. It's just that simple. But I think that that group has single-handedly been keeping restaurants, some restaurants alive. That's great. And it, it's, it's what a way to do it, you know? Yeah. That's fantastic. You should join that group just to see the pictures. I did. You sent me one. It was good. I liked it. That's what, I like what they were doing there. Yeah. So, well, any other nuggets of advice or wisdom? <sighs> hmm. Keep eating. Yeah. <laughs> Never stop eating. <laughs> Don't you worry about that. <laughs> Okay, so for our listeners, if any of this resonated with you and you would like to get in touch with Micah, you can find him at www.feteauffete.com. That's fetofet.com. And if this resonated with you friendship-wise and you yearn to have deeper and more meaningful relationships and more supportive professional networks, reach out to me at nancytiltonhand.com. It is all about connection, and I would love to support you in learning how to network like a natural. And with that, I'll say remember, friendships make you smarter, happier, stronger, healthier, and wealthier, not to mention being absolutely fun, fulfilling, and joyful. So get out there and make a new friend in 2021, because here we are. 
We are over and out. Thanks, Micah. Anytime. Thank you.